0: Song, Brother Britt, for that reason. It just turns our eyes to Christ away from the things of the world. It's easy whenever things are difficult to not trust in Christ. This morning, the title of the message is When Times Are Bad. So I think it's fitting as we come out of that song to think about. You know, what do we do when times are bad? What and what what does our faith in Christ look like when things are tough and difficult? And we're going to see some instructions from Christ today as He speaks to believers. Our text again is Luke twenty-one, five through eight or five through nineteen. So if you're writing notes, you'll want to just jot that down so that you can have your reference. And I encourage you as you take notes, go back through the week and Um, Use your devotion time. Use your meditation time to reflect back on the things that you heard from today. Some ways that God may have ministered to you through the Word. If you remember, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. And to the surprise of so many people, He went to the temple. And there he, He just made a spectacle out of those who have been abusing the temple as a more or less as, a, as their own kingdom. They, they've been kind of building their own kingdom. And so Jesus kind of comes in and He cleans house and then He spends time teaching in the temple. And if you remember, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. He, he's talking to those who are trusting in Him. And there was quite a few disciples that were there. But He was speaking loud enough that others who were not His disciples could hear and not only that, but you can see that there are other things going on in the temple. You remember the the offering box that was there and people were coming in and giving and they were observing those who were giving and Jesus brought attention to the widow woman who gave her two small mites uh, in the offering box. All that she had, she, she put in the offering box. So there are other things that are going on. And so it's important that we understand that Jesus is instructing his disciples, but uh, he's speaking loudly, but there's also other activities going on and there's other conversations that are taking place. And so that kind of helps us get this scene in our minds as we work through this text today. Now, you need to know that the temple in Jerusalem was the centerpiece of Jewish life. It was literally how they found their identity, they I identified who they were by the temple. There had never been a time in the life of any Jew where they did not hear stories about their ancestry and about the, the history of the temple. Everything from the time they were born had been, had been pointing them to the temple. They had been visiting the temple. They would take uh, four trips a year, no matter where they lived. They were going to the temple Um, And then for those who lived there close by, that was part of their daily lives. They just constantly were uh, reading and learning about the temple and seeing how it was part of their, their lives. So you can imagine how this must have sounded to them when Jesus told them that the temple is going to be not just destroyed, but completely erased. It's it's about to disappear and you're never going to see it again. That's what he is telling them. There's nothing going to be that will be left. No stone will be left upon another. Now then, it's hard for us to have such an identity uh, wrapped up into a temple like that. But I, I don't think we're too far off. In fact, I want just uh, for us to imagine growing up in in this church, in, in, in this building. You You were in the nursery and you go to the children's ministry and the youth ministry and you're part of the overall life of the church and senior ministry one day. You attend Calvary all your life. It was at Calvary that you came to faith in Jesus Christ through one of the Sunday school teachers teaching the gospel. And you heard the gospel and you believed. It was at Calvary Baptist Church that you attended your grandparents' funeral. You were married here at Calvary Baptist Church. You dedicated your babies here at Calvary Baptist Church. Then you attended your parents' funeral here at Calvary Baptist Church. Your whole life you have served and you've uh, went to mission trips and you've done ministry right here through Calvary Baptist Church and you've grew in your faith right here in this location. Imagine then somebody saying, This, this is going to be, we're going we're to wipe this building out. This building is going to cease to exist and the only thing left on the corner of 51 and Church Road will be an empty lot. That's kind of hard for some of us really to imagine, but it's, it can be true. There can be such ties to a building. Now then, let me give you a reality. One day, there will, be a, there will be a day whenever this structure will not exist. There will be a day whenever Calvary Baptist Church will not exist. Do you know how I know that? I know that because I know history. History. We read about the churches of Galatia. We read about the church in Ephesus and Thessalonica and the church at Corinth and the church at Philippi. Those churches don't exist anymore. Churches have a lifespan. Now there will be many churches that we perhaps start and missions that we're involved with and and it'll multiply and those things are going. But right here, this will cease to exist. Let me take it a little bit further. There will be a day when America will cease to exist. Hard to imagine. No America? How do you know that? Because I know history. There's not an empire ever to, to survive. Everything has a life cycle. And then it will come to an end. Our minds have a hard time imagining these things. But this is, this is what it would have been like for the Jews that Jesus was talking to. Even His own disciples who had grown up knowing all there is to know about the temple, loving the temple. And he's telling them that there's coming a time when everything will be erased. Notice what it says here. He's, and again, remember the scene. There's other things going on. So I can imagine this conversation is taking place off to the side. Perhaps there are some not disciples of, who are not disciples of Christ saying these things to Christ directly. We don't know, but we, we know that this conversation is taking place. Look at verse 5. Some were speaking and they were talking about the temple. And they were just boasting in how amazing it is. Look at how it's adorned with these noble stones. These stones that have been imported and brought in. They were beautiful stones. And, and the craftsmanship that went into the building of this temple was unparalleled And how they chiseled away at the stones and they made these beautiful structures. And would you just not only look at the immaculate structure and how beautiful this temple is and how ama- look at how amazing it all is, but look at how, look at how good the offerings are also. Look at how much money comes into the temple and how, how many people come and give so generously. What do, you, what do you see them doing here? They are actually putting all their hope into a building and money. They're, they're looking at... You know, by the way, we're not too distant from that, are we? It's easy to look at our buildings and it's easy to look at the offerings and think, man, times are good. Look at how well things are. Look at how God has blessed us. Or look at what we've accomplished for God. False security. False security. They're bragging. They are boasting in a place and in their giving. And it's almost as if they're saying, God should be pleased with us. So this is happening. This is going on. It can obviously be heard. I'm sure the disciples are listening to this. And Jesus has a response. Look at His response there in verse 6. Yeah, as for these things you see, you're giving, you're building. The days will come where there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is kind of like the wet blanket on everybody's optimism. He's like the one who just comes in and says, yeah, you're so excited about that. Let me just squash that real quick. And I I want to present here an assumed question. And the assumed question is why? Why would God destroy the temple? Has this not been a part of his people's history from uh, the, the times in, in which he first began to call people? And, and, and wasn't this to represent his glory? Why would God allow the temple to be destroyed, this temple that's been dedicated to him? We need to remember that Jesus sees the temple for what it has become, not what it was supposed to be. What did Jesus say? My house is to be a house of relationship. It's to be a house of prayer. It's where my people come to, to commune with me. It's where they come to adore me. It's where they come to speak with me, to meet with me. Let me tell you real quickly here, if I don't have a chance to say it at any, at any other point in the, in the sermon, this building only serves a purpose for us to meet and to worship and to commune with God, to collectively be together. But they had taken all of these things and rather than coming to be impressed by God, they were coming to impress God. They wanted to come and, and show God, look at how amazing we are. Look at all we have done in this place and with this place. On top of that, let's not forget the widow woman who gave her two mites. And she was giving uh, that little bitty offering out of the integrity of her heart. But what were the leaders going to do with that offering? They were going to take it and they were going to squander it on themselves. They were going to serve their own self-interest. They were devouring widows' houses so that they could build their own houses And they were using the temple as a place of extortion. They were using the structure as a means to get rich. And from a theological standpoint, they elevated the temple above God. They were finding their security in the temple They saw its beauty and its worth and its value as something that would last forever. They found their identity in the temple. They were worshiping the temple instead of worshiping in the temple. And listen to what Jeremiah the prophet had warned them already. Remember, they didn't listen to the prophets very well. You remember the parable just before this? How the, the wicked tenants, uh, how Jesus sent messenger after messenger after messenger and they beat them and sent them away, they rejected their message. Listen to Jeremiah. Listen to this out of Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, in other words, God sends his messenger, he gives him a word, and he sends his messenger. He says, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates and to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever." Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to this house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and your fathers as I did at Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast all your kinsmen, all all the offerings of Ephraim. He's drawing their attention to a place that once, where once the people of God worshiped and he removed that. And he's saying, and I will remove this temple just the same. I'll remove Jerusalem just the same. I'll remove you just the same. Now fast forward 600 years after Jeremiah said that Jesus, the Son of God, is standing in the very place that he had warned them not to take comfort and security in. Now, think of the parable. What did Jesus say? I sent messenger after messenger after messenger, and you didn't listen to them. I'm going to send my son. He's going to say the same thing, but you're going to kill him. All of this is taking place right here in front of our eyes. And Jesus is now sending, or Jesus is the son who is being sent to confront their trust in their religion and what they have created the system to be. They were trusting in the temple. They were trusting in their offerings. While at the same time, they were robbing and committing adultery. And they were using the people, lying to the people, deceiving the people. They were calling it God's temple. That's how they would get people in. They would say, this is the temple of the Lord. Give your money. We'll gladly take it. That's what they were doing. They were not calling upon God. Jesus tells them that because they have turned what belongs to God into a den of robbers that God is going to destroy this temple. Let me say something about our God. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. And what does that mean? It means this, he will not allow anything to take his place. We are idolatrous by nature. We love worshiping the things we see. But Jesus is saying, I will remove those things. So we haven't assumed why. Why is God going to destroy the temple? Because they have turned it into an idol and they've made it about them. The second question or the question we see here in the text is when, look at verse seven. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now notice that this is a question of faith. They believe this is going to happen. These are his disciples asking this question. These are the ones who do believe in Jesus. And they're saying, hey, when are are these things going to be? Now, obviously, you and I know something about history today. We know that in 40 years from when Jesus said this, Titus Flavius was going to take a group of Roman soldiers and was going to surround the city, was going to starve out the entire city of Jerusalem and then would completely and utterly destroy it and burn it down. So that is when it took place. That's the immediate act of judgment that Jesus uh, just, uh, he, he doesn't really address here. He's already said it. But we see, we know that the immediate judgment is there. But Jesus doesn't tell them all of the details. He doesn't say 40 years from now, here will be your sign. 40 years from today, this is going to happen. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, what he does is he looks into the future and he begins to instruct them about judgment and what bad days look like and how to respond. There will be bad days, and he's speaking immediately to that context, to those people, but by extension, he says the end will not immediately come. In other words, there is going to be many years where there will be a time of judgment. You and I live in this overlap. You and I live in a time of judgment. There are things being done in the earth and in the world where we can literally see it is under judgment. It is under siege, I guess you could say. And so here what we have is some instructions. And He's telling us as believers, He's telling His disciples, what you need to be more concerned about Then, when? Don't concern yourself about when. You need to be concerned with how you're going to respond when you find yourself in troublesome days. And so, listen to what Jesus tells us today through this. Number one, he tells us not to be deceived by false religion. Look at verse eight. And he said, See that you are not led astray. Means don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Now folks, listen to what Jesus says. Do not listen to them. Do not go after them. Do not follow them. There will be many who will come in the name of Jesus. And another way of understanding this by extension, there will be many who will come bearing the name Christianity. They will come saying that they are representing the Lord. They will come sounding a lot like Jesus. They will come looking a lot like Jesus. The Bible tells us over and over again about wolves in sheep's clothing, does it not? He's saying, be warned. Be warned. And do not be deceived. There will be many who will act like they are following Jesus. They will talk like Jesus would talk. And they're going to talk about the coming of the Lord. And they're going to dazzle you with things that are fascinating. And they're going to get you to look at the things that are happening in order to draw you in by the interest of things going on in your time. Let's just be honest. Whenever somebody says... I'll tell you exactly what's happening in the Middle East. I'll tell you exactly why China's doing what it's doing. I'll tell you exactly what North Korea's doing. And we can see it right here in Scripture. Be careful about that person. Be careful about that one who takes modern events and connects them to the Scripture in such a way as to say, we know when Jesus is coming because of these things. The Bible tells us not to even speculate when Christ is coming. He tells us not to think about those things. Let me say something very clearly, brothers and sisters. If someone looks like a sheep, if someone talks like a sheep, if someone walks like a sheep, if someone smells like a sheep, they might be a wolf. Now that's a fact. That's what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like you ever seen these awful pictures of a wolf in sheep's clothing? It's like got this wolf, you can see the feet and the tail, and the the coat of the sheep. That's the dumbest picture. It's so obvious. Let me tell you what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like. It looks like a sheep. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Amazes me how gullible Christians are today. And we're gullible because of the wealth of information that's available through TV, radio, podcasts, and all sorts of things that are being said out there. And it amazes me how somebody can say, God woke me up at 1.30 and he gave me a word to come and give to you today. The moment they say that, I'm done. And let me tell you why. If you want to know what God says, open your Bibles, look down, and read it. That's what God says. He doesn't give any more new revelation. He's given all the revelation that is needed to know Him. We better be careful and look for the key signs and not be deceived when people come sounding so good There are people who will get you to look at the events of the world. They'll write books on it. They'll sound very Christian. They'll look very enticing. How's the devil going to come? He's going to come as an angel of what? angel of light. It looks good. Don't be deceived. And Jesus says, do not go after them. So, times are bad. Typically, we want to... We want to hear somebody's message to help us understand the bad times. Be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of people out there. Be careful. That's all that's what Jesus is saying. Don't listen to those. Don't be deceived by false religion, by false people who come in His name. Secondly, don't be scared by current events. Look at what He says in verse 9. And when you hear the wars of wars and tumults And uh, he says, do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end will not come at once. Now, there were going to be Jewish Christians in that day and that was going to live on for 40 years after Christ was gone and they're going to see the Romans besiege Jerusalem and they're going to, you know, some of them are already going to be scattered because of persecution and they're going to hear what's taking place in Jerusalem. You're going to have some who have scattered to other parts of the world, but they're going to hear what Titus Flavius does. They're going to know that everything that they knew growing up is done away with. And they're also going to hear about droughts and famines. And Jesus says, Do not allow these things to cause you to fear. And, folks, I'm going to tell you why because it's all part of God's plan. He says in verse 10 through 11. Then he says to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Right now there are things going on that has a lot of people on edge. There's a volcano in Alaska that has everyone on edge in Alaska right now. There's a war between Russia and the Ukraine that have... Everybody on edge still. We have a strained relationship right now between China and the U.S. and many are nervous that we may actually end up having to go to war should China try to invade Taiwan. We have the issue at the Mexican border with causing people to worry about drugs and guns and murderers coming into the country. Script News, I read this week an article by Script News, and it said that studies show that there will be an increase in natural disasters over the next seven years. And it says today we currently have 430 uh, natural disasters a year, but in, within seven years we'll be seeing 560 natural disasters per year. These experts say that there's going to be extreme heat waves and droughts and famines, and they said that these heat waves are going to then bring flooding into certain parts, and they named Mississippi as, uh, in the floodplains as being a recipient of all of the floods and how these floods are going to directly impact The corn and the corn is going to devastate the economy, and when the economy is devastated, there will be worldwide starvation. You read these articles, and literally, they just essentially said you've got seven years left. Now they had a solution. You you need to, to go green and and don't drive cars and don't burn oil and there's always a political agenda but what's the tactic we're going to scare you into going in the direction we want you to go i'll tell you something i know about what's going to happen to the earth jesus says as as long as he continues to tarry there's going to be summer spring winter and fall Everything will continue as is until He returns. I don't get scared over that stuff. And you shouldn't either. That doesn't mean that we're careless and that we're not conservative when it comes to energy and those types of things and that we're reckless. But we're not going to be dictated and, and, and driven by fear. Jesus says, do not be afraid when you hear of natural disasters and current political events. When you see bad things happening and you're going to hear about it, you're going to hear about wars and you're going to hear about all of these things that are taking place. And it's going to... By the way, I don't care which news article you listen to, they're saying the same thing. Everything's bad. And if you watch enough news, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to walk away feeling defeated Helpless and like there's no hope left in the world. Be careful what you listen to. And know what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't be afraid. The second thing he's saying here is don't be silenced when you are hated for your faith. Look at what he says in 12 through 18. But before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now look at what he says in verse 13. When you're arrested, when you are on trial, when you are brought before governors and principalities and leaders. Look at what he says in verse 13. This will be your opportunity. This isn't an obstacle. It's an opportunity. To do what? To bear witness to bear witness of what? To bear witness of the name of Jesus. Dark days are a great opportunity to make Jesus' name great. Settle it therefore in your minds, verse 14, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will even put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus warns that there will be many Christians who will suffer persecution. now. Immediately, we know that we can identify Peter. We can identify the disciples. We can identify their persecution because we can see in Scripture, we can see they were hated. They were delivered to the magistrates and the political leaders and the religious leaders. We see all of that. But this extends out beyond just those immediate disciples. And folks, we here who enjoy the protection of a constitution that gives us rights to worship need not forget that we're an anomaly in the world, that in many places of the world, they are suffering persecution. But I would even say, open your eyes, brothers and sisters, because regardless of a piece of paper that's hung in Washington, persecution is coming. There's an increased hatred to you for your Christianity and your faith. It's astonishing to me to see the hatred toward Christians today in America. But we do not need to be discouraged and we certainly do not need to be silent. We need to be bold and we need to be vocal. Not arrogant, not a bunch of jerks, but to be bold, to be humble and meek but to be vocal and bold at the same time. Let your enemies see your faith in Jesus. While they're responding to you in hate, let them see you respond to them with love and grace. Let them see you share the characteristics of Christ and be controlled by the very mind of Christ. Let them see something opposite that they see in themselves. Show them something that can only be seen in Jesus Christ. We're not afraid to die. We're not afraid to be hated. We don't want that. We're not looking for that. We're not trying to bring hatred and persecution onto ourselves. But We're certainly not afraid of it. And when push comes to shove, I will stand for Jesus. I'll be hated for His name's sake. I will die for His name's sake. This needs to be our resolve. Jesus says, settle it in your minds that you are going to trust in Jesus for words and for wisdom when you are persecuted. And Jesus even says that some of this hatred is going to come from within. Your own family members, your parents, your brothers, your relatives, your friends will turn their backs on you. They will hate you for your faith. Your sons and your daughters will hate you for your faith. I can't imagine That brother Greg, let me tell you something. There are social issues going on today that make Christmas time and Easter and Thanksgiving very difficult for families to get together anymore. Because as a Christian, you know where you stand. I said a Christian, not a conservative Republican or a liberal Democrat. A Christian is different. And as a Christian, you stand on issues not because of your political affiliation, but because of who you are in Christ. And when you stand against issues that the lost world is for, you will not be liked and it will disrupt lots of family time, lots of family reunions. It's happening all the time where we will literally divide over our faith in Jesus. But I love something Jesus says here. He says in verse 16, some of you will even be put to death. But then in verse 18, He says, but not one hair of your head will perish. What's He saying? All they can do is hurt your body. That's the worst they can do to you. But just know this, if you do die, not one hair of your head will perish. I've got you. Do you... No, Remember, this, the setting is important. Jesus is in the temple. There's not going to be too many days past from when Jesus says this and after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension that Stephen is also going to stand in this place. And Stephen is going to preach a message that is going to infuriate the leaders that are there and they're going to drag him out of the temple. They're going to drag him outside the walls of Jerusalem and they're going to stone him and they're going to kill him. Because he preached a sermon that exalted the name of Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember, if you know the story in your minds, I want you to remember Stephen being stoned. And do you remember? He looked up and he saw a perfect view into heaven and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, not sitting. Standing, The whole time Stephen was being persecuted, Jesus was right there with him. And not one hair of his head perished, even though he died. God has His life in His hands, and He has your life in His hands. Jesus is in control. And because of this, we do not have to be afraid, and we shouldn't be silent. Let me point us to the sovereignty of Christ. Listen to what Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.23. Then Jesus delivered up according, now this is Peter talking to them and he's talking about how Jesus was arrested and how he was put to death. He said, but Jesus, this Jesus, this one that is the Christ, this one who talked and walked on the the shores of Galilee, who taught the scriptures, who taught in the temple, he was delivered up according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. What Peter is saying is that God has a definite plan and perfect foreknowledge. He knows everything that's going to happen because he planned everything that is going to happen. You see, God is not a God of confusion, He's a God of order. And therefore, he is working his plan. And so if we fast forward two chapters in Acts chapter 4, Peter then shows us how God is executing that plan. Acts chapter 4, 23. After they had been arrested, they had been preaching in the name of Jesus. They had been vocal about their faith. They were arrested. They were beaten. And it says when they were released, these disciples, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God. And this is what they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly, then this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both both, uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Jesus is said to be by Peter and all of those there who heard him all the disciples he is the sovereign lord this means that god is both the master designer but he is also the master executor of his plan god foretold through the mouth of his servant david that leaders would do exactly what we saw them do with herod and pontius pilate that he would that they would take these evil men would take the son of god and would crucify him Here's what this means. God has a plan in his mind. He communicates that plan through his prophets. We have that plan. We see it. We hear the prophetic words of these prophets, of these prophecies, and we see it unfolded in Scripture. But ultimately, here's what it shows us there's absolutely no way that God's plan is going to fail. There's no way that God's plan will fail. And what Peter is showing us, that Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with all of the Jews and every other person that was there, they had no choice but to do what they did because it says they had to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined them to do. They had to do it because God said they had to do it. He foretold it Through David. All of this shows us that God is sovereign. And folks, if God is sovereign to work out His plan to get His Son to the cross, He is sovereign to get the message of His Son to whoever He wants to get it to. It is the sovereign hand of God that allowed you to hear the gospel the first time you heard it and to continue hearing it today. It is the sovereign hand of God that you are hearing the gospel now. We see that God is at work in our lives. And because we see this, we don't have to be afraid. If God knows all things and God is working all things according to his plan and according to his will, why should we be afraid? If I belong to God and he's my father, why should I be afraid of anything? And if not one hair of my head will perish, why should I even be afraid of death? And what can you do to a person who's not afraid to die? Somebody that's just crazy enough to believe. What can you do to that person? Remember, Jesus was talking to His disciples. But what were the other people? What was the other conversation? They were saying, look at these beautiful stones. Look at at all that we've accomplished. Look at all that we've got. Man, we're so blessed. Things are so good, right? Some years later, here's what we hear Peter saying, and I want you to pay attention to the the use of the word stones because you can also see that that Peter is picking up on what Jesus is teaching and gives his own teaching here. Listen to what it says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You want to talk about a beautiful stone? We need to talk about Jesus. You yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. You want to talk about beautiful stones? Look at God's people. Not this. Look at God's people. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe... Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, Jesus is prophesying in the day that he was in the temple about the destruction of the stones Then all these stones, there will not be one of these precious stones left upon another. These stones will be annihilated. They will be erased. All of the structure will be done away with. And he's saying here, I'm going to raise up new stones. I'm going to raise up a new people, a chosen people, a royal people, a chosen race and a priesthood who will know how to live when times are bad. They will be a house built on the rock that when the waves come and the winds blow, it will not be knocked down. You see, brothers and sisters, when the world sees disaster after disaster, what that means is when we are in Christ and trusting in Him and not distracted by all of the things of this world, we will not be afraid. When the dictators and the world leaders go to war with each other, we will not get depressed. When the economy fails and there is no retirement, when we will not be dismayed. When persecution comes, we will not run. When, the fam- when our families and friends abandon us, we will not recant of our faith. When we are turned over to the authorities and told not to speak the name of Jesus, we will not be silent. And when the world kills us, we will not perish. Because Jesus says, you will not perish. Not one hair. But for this kind of faith to be real, we cannot be distracted. They were distracted by the structure they were distracted by the religious things you know when i came to calvary nine years ago over nine years ago calvary had a debt a building debt and we made it a goal that we were going to get out of debt and praise god we did and we were able to knock that debt out quick but a lot of our tension was let's get rid of the debt and then we begin to build up our funds because we, we're going we're to need to now improve our buildings. And we've remodeled the gym. We've remodeled the well. We've had buildings removed from this property. We've had to redo the, the asphalt. We've pressure washed this building. We have done all sorts of remodel and repair. And we do lots of building upgrades. And by the way, all of that's good. And all of that's necessary. In fact, we've got plans now. We're talking about now uh, continuing to go to the next phase to do the area in the back so that our kids can be safe and have a place for young families and, and activities for our youth. And, and, and all of that's good and well. Our building is important, right? But can I be honest? When COVID hit in 2020... The last thing I cared about was a building. It was. I wasn't thinking about building programs, building plans, and putting energy and time into buildings. You know what I cared about more than anything? Being with all of you. Do you remember how it was when we couldn't meet? Do you remember what it was like when we couldn't hug each other? And when we couldn't shake hands? when everybody was, you know, messed up over social distancing and stuff, we put tape on the pews to separate everybody. You remember all that? You know what it taught us? You know what's really important? Well, the real stones, the real structure, and nothing else. And as we do building programs and as we look at our things that we're doing here. You know, my my prayer as a pastor is that we never worship any of this stuff. We do what's necessary, but we will never idolize the thing that is only supposed to help direct us and point us. A lot of times what we do, we're by nature idolatrous. And instead of the things pointing to Jesus, we, we point at the things and we look at the things and we look at how beautiful stuff is. This stuff will one day all be gone. There will not be one sheet rock left upon another sheetrock. <laughs> but you will not be gone. Those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we are the true stones. And we never need to confuse the things that really matter to God. Let me give us one last thought. Jesus says that we can die, but we cannot perish. And if I know that I cannot perish, giving up will never be an option. He says in verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. We must persevere. No matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult things are, we must persevere in the faith. Perseverance of the saints is a testimony that Jesus is real in your life. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that You would help us to know what to do when times are bad. Lord, I believe that for most here, we have enjoyed a lot of times of good. We enjoy lots of freedoms. In fact, Lord, we enjoy lots of freedoms that our brothers and sisters in the faith around the world never get to even imagine. I can't even imagine such freedoms and such openness that we can not just preach, we can publish materials with our address on it and tell people exactly where we are. And we can broadcast our services and we can tell people over the airwaves that we're not ashamed of Christ. Lord, we have brothers and sisters that can't even imagine what type of freedom that is. Lord, help us to know that Regardless, we must be always ready. Never to give in to those false voices. Never to be deceived. And be careful who we listen to. Lord, help us to not be afraid whenever disasters strike. Tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, heat waves, famines. Help us not to be afraid whenever wars take place and the threats of war the possibility of a war. Help us not to be afraid in times of economic recession or depression. And Lord, help us never to be silent when we're hated. Help us to be bold and humble, to be meek and vocal. And may you get glory through our lives. Help us to focus on what matters, not to worship the things that point to Jesus, just simply to worship Jesus. And may you get glory through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.